in your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3. I asked you to pray early in the service because I'm going to be preaching both services today on the devil. And we got a mic still on or something here, Brother Al. And, uh, and so the devil is not omniscient. He's not omniscient. God is omniscient. He knows all. The devil is not. But the devil does know. And the devil can know what the pastor is going to be preaching on Sunday. And so uh, I think without a shadow of a doubt, the devil doesn't want me to, to reveal these things to you today. And he doesn't want us to know his tactics. And so, of course, the devil is going to do his best to try to fight and and distract, but I'm glad that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so find your places, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, when you find your place, let's all stand if you're able. Uh, we're going to read through, I think, verse number 8, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 8. And then I want to encourage you, whatever you do, don't miss tonight. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Don't miss tonight. And... Uh, I'll be preaching tonight on waving the white flag of surrender. Which is something that you never want to do when it comes to Satan. The Lord, yes. Not to the devil. You give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. You crack the door open, Satan will come in. There's no doubt. So let's look at our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 1. Paul says, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, as you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Now when Timotheus came from, uh, from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distressed by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. Man, what a chapter. I want to draw your attention this morning, if I could, to verse number five. It's our text. Paul says to this church, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means... The tempter have tempted you. And that, I want to pull that little phrase out of that verse, verse number five. And I want to talk to you about the means of the tempter. The means of the tempter. How does Satan tempt? What are the tools in his toolbox? What does he, what does he like to use? And so if we can learn how the enemy is going to fight, that's half the battle. And so... You may be seated this morning and you pray for your pastor. I'm going to pray for you. And let's just pray that God will speak to our hearts this morning. Father, thank you so much for this 
wonderful service we've had together. Thank you for the great music. Thank you, Father, for the worship. Thou art worthy of worship. Thou art worthy of a bowing down. Father, we worship you today. And Lord, our main prayer request is this one, that your precious son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and exalted. God, I pray that he will be, or I pray that he will increase and that we will decrease. Father, we also pray for those souls that are lost and that soul that's nearest hell, that today would be the day of their salvation. We pray for that child of God that's discouraged about something. God, I pray today that today would be a great day of encouragement. We pray for that Christian that is even right now fighting a great fight of temptation. They've not told anyone. That husband has not confided in his wife. That wife has not confided in her, in her husband. That teenager has not told his mom or dad because he, he would be too embarrassed. But truth be known, there's some folks in this room that even this week have fought a lot of temptation. Father, I pray that you'll help us today. We, we, as Brother Charles did a while ago, we plead the blood. God, I pray that you'd cover this service, cover this congregation, this pastor. And Lord, I pray that you would keep the powers of darkness without. And I pray that you'd keep your blessings within today. Help us, we pray, Father. We love you and praise you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake, we pray and all God's people said, amen. At the writing of this letter, Paul had long since left Thessalonica. You'll have to go back later on. You'll have to go back in your devotions to Acts chapter 17 to understand the whole story. But Paul in Thessalonica, Paul did build a work there. God used him to build a work there in Thessalonica. But Thessalonica was a city of great persecution. And Paul has really suffered persecution in Thessalonica. And because of that, the brethren have, have come, they, they love Paul and they, they come to Paul and they said, Paul, you're going to have to, you can't stay here. And so they send him on to Berea. We find here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that Paul is longing to go back to Thessalonica. He's got some people there that he loves. Some folks that he led to Christ, his children in the faith some folks that he preached to, some folks that he pastored. But it's very unsafe. They know Paul. They know his face. And when Paul goes back somewhere, he's not going to be silent. <laughs> Paul's going to do what he always does. He's going to preach Jesus. And so Paul wanting to go back to Thessalonica, it's such a burden to go back to Thessalonica and, and be with these Christians. And so because he's not able to do that, he sends Timothy. And Timothy's not as well-known Timothy could probably go back there and maybe not raise the stir that the apostle Paul would. And so Paul says, I'll send Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on those. That's really what was going on, to check on those Christians in Thessalonica. The reason being because Paul had become burdened for those that he led to Christ. He was concerned that the devil or what he uh, labels the tempter He's concerned that the devil was causing problems in their life. 
And because it would be a little while before Paul could get back to Thessalonica, Paul was afraid that at his return, that he would find a church that had become a casualty because of the workings of the devil. That's what he's talking about in verse number five. And Paul said, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, Paul said, I couldn't stand it. He said, my heart is, is with you there when I could no longer forbear. He said, I sent to know your faith. In other words, I sent Timothy to check on you. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. When I came across that statement, by some means the tempter have tempted you, the Lord began to speak to my heart. What are the means by which the tempter tempts? What resources does he use to try to work in your life and work in my life? By the way, you could say that some messages don't necessarily apply to you. I'm going to guarantee you this one. This one applies. It applies to you. It applies to me. Sin is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or evangelist or deacon or Sunday school teacher or mom or dad or teenager. It has no respect to age. Somebody says, well, if I can just get to 60, I'll be past temptation. Not so. You'll fight that battle until the day that the Lord takes you to glory. And so we want to find out today, what are the resources that the devil used? May I say by way of introduction this morning, it's important that, the, that you know that the tempter is your true enemy. Too many Christians are fighting the wrong enemy. Or let me back up. Uh, too many Christians are fighting the wrong person or the wrong, or the wrong people. You see, your difference today is not with another Christian. Your difference today is not with your pastor. Yes, preacher's going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things I shouldn't say occasionally. I'm going to do things I shouldn't do. I'm going to make some mistakes. But I'm just telling you this morning that your problem, your problem, really, your problem is not with your pastor. Your, your issue is not with a deacon. Your issue is not with another church member. Your issue is not with your wife or husband or a family member. And I would say this, that it may seem like that. And the reason it seems like that is because the enemy wants you to think that, the, that your fight is not with him, but your fight is with somebody else. But Ephesians chapter 6 is very clear on this. The Bible says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wicked, wickedness in high places. For we wrestle, for we wrestle. The word wrestle there means a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other. And which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. You know wrestling. The idea behind wrestling is, is to throw your opponent outside the circle. Or to pin your opponent to the mat. I want you to understand something this morning. That is absolutely the, the enemy's desire. 
He wants to throw you out of the circle. He wants to get you out of the will of God. He's willing to do anything in his power. By the way, he's underhanded. He's deceitful. Uh, he's, a, he's a being of deception and he'll do anything within his power to try to throw you out of the will of God. We'll get into that in just a moment. He'll do anything in his power to try to pin you to the mat and to take you away, away from what God wants you to do. Please understand something. The devil is not your friend. And so the devil comes to the teenager and says, do it. It'll be fun. You'll love it. The devil cares nothing about you loving anything. He cares nothing about you having fun. He cares nothing about you having a, a, good, a good old time in your life. The devil is a deceiver. And if he does it, he does it because he hates you. And his goal is to throw you out of the circle and to pin you to the mat. Now, what are the means that the tempter uses? Just two thoughts I'll give you this morning. Look back, if you will, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse number 5 again. Paul said, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. The word tempted there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5 is the Greek word periazo, and it means it has two different meanings. And I want to give those meanings to you today, and I think, I think this will make sense to you, and I pray that it'll be a blessing. Lest by some means the tempter have tempted you. Number one, the word tempted there means to scrutinize. A little sub-definition there. It means to try, to make trial of, for the purpose of ascertaining his quantity or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. In other words, uh, when the Bible says the devil tempts, it means this, the devil is constantly scrutinizing you. He's constantly examining you. He's constantly trying to nose into your business and find out what it is that you like and what you dislike. He's interested in both, by the way. And he's making a science out of you, if you will. I remember some of you can relate to this. Uh, years ago in high school, we took a class called physical science. And one of the things that we did was we, we would uh, dissect uh, insects, grasshoppers, crickets. And we would dissect insects and then we would take their parts, their body parts, and we would put those body parts under a microscope. And then you would focus that microscope in and you would look down at that insect's part and it would, it would, it would uh, greatly magnify what you placed underneath the microscope. It would reveal up close every part of their makeup, things that you couldn't necessarily see with the naked eye, you could now see underneath the microscope. Did you know that Satan does the exact same thing? Satan makes a study of your life. He has, and by the way, Satan is not omniscient. Satan's also not omnipresent. Amen. So God is everywhere all at one time. Only God can do that. Satan cannot. Well, you say, preacher, it sort, of, it sort of felt like the devil was at my house this week. Well, it may have been, but I doubt it. Most of us, I'm going to be honest with you, most of us would not warrant the devil coming himself. Amen. But the Bible does say there are principalities, powers, spiritual rulers of the darkness of this world. And so Satan has his 
uh, Satan has his majors and Satan has his sergeants and Satan has his, uh, his privates and he has these demons and devil forces that, uh, you know what, if Satan is not there with you specifically, then he has demons that are there, by the way, and they are there to concentrate on you individually. Amen. The ones that are concentrating on Brother Ronnie over here are not concentrating on Brother Mike. You say, preacher, you're preaching way out today. No, I'm not. I'm preaching the truth this morning. There are more than likely, it's a whole different Bible study. We won't go into this today. But there are more than likely demons that have jurisdiction over Union Grove. There are some devils that do not want a prayer meeting to take place Thursday night at 6 o'clock. And they'll do anything in their power to try to take away from that prayer meeting. Uh, their jurisdiction is here. There are other demons that have jurisdiction over uh, your county, over your city, over your neighborhood. And there are some who have jurisdiction over your home. They are examining you. They are scrutinizing you. They are watching your life. They are watching your marriage. They are watching your home. They're watching your teenagers. This is true stuff, by the way. You know what? If our, if our spiritual eyes could be opened, we'd be amazed at what we would see. Now, there would be great forces of good here today, but you'd also see some amazing forces of evil. And those forces are watching you. They're scrutinizing you. You say, Pastor, you're making all this up. I'm not making it up. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 22, we find out in Luke chapter 22 that the devil was closely examining the life of Peter. The Bible tells us in Luke 22, verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you individually. He wants you that he may sift you as wheat. And then the Lord said, but I prayed for thee that thy faith fell not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. The devil was closely examining the life of Peter. How about this? The devil was closely examining and familiar with the life of the apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 19, we find a very interesting story. The Bible says that there were some Jews, exorcists, that were trying to cast out demons. They were trying to exorcise these people that were demon-possessed. And the Bible says as they were coming and trying to exercise these demons, they were using the name of Paul and Jesus. And so this seven sons of Sceva, one of the seven sons of Sceva came and as he tried to cast out this demon, he said, I, I adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And the devil spoke out of the man and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know. But who are you? Who do you think you are, you little peeps? Quick, by the way, you read the rest of the story. Didn't work out very well for those that were trying to exercise those demons. You know why? We're no match. Outside of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're no match for the devil. And, and anyway, so many things I can say. I'm not, I'm not going to start chasing rabbits right now. I do want you, though, I do want you to turn to Job chapter 1. I want you to see that Satan 
is scrutinizing your life. He's examining you. He's watching you. He's got you under the microscope. He's making a study out of you. He's testing you. Job chapter 1 and verse number 8. If you're here this morning and you're trying to do anything for the cause of Jesus Christ, beware because the devil is very aware of what's going on in your life. Now look at Job chapter 1. And look at verse number eight. By the way, some believe this may be the oldest book of our Bible. And so from from the very beginning of time, notice what's going on. A very spiritual warfare is going on. Job 1, verse 8. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschewth evil? Watch closely, church. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Listen, Satan knew about Job individually. He knew about him. Satan knew uh, about Job's work. He mentions it right there in Job chapter one. He was aware of Job's substance. He knew Job was rich. He knew he had been there. He knew about his children. He knew about his homes. He knew about his prosperity. And according to the word of God here in Job chapter one, he was even knowledgeable about Job's house. That tells me that, you know what? He had been looking on Job's 10 kids. He was very familiar with Mrs. Job. Satan was watching. Satan was examining. Satan was scrutinizing. Now, I said that to say this. Please understand that Satan is very aware of your life. He's not just concerned about Job, and he's not just concerned about Paul or Peter, but Satan is very concerned about you. He does not like the fact that you're here today. He does not want you going to a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church where the gospel is being proclaimed and Jesus is being exalted and God is being worshipped. Satan doesn't want you here. He doesn't want you raising your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He wants to throw you out of the circle. He wants to pin you to the mat and he'll do anything in his power to try to keep you from the will of God for your life. He's studying you. He studies your spouse. He studies your children. What do you mean, pastor? Watch now. After Satan scrutinizes your life, if he sees your weakness is things, Satan will provide things to preoccupy your time. There's nothing wrong with a higher paying job. Nothing wrong with it at all. Unless... It takes you away from the will of God. Everybody with me this morning? We'll wake up and listen what I'm about to tell you. There's nothing wrong with a high-paying job, but when that high-paying job removes you out of the circle and takes you away from the will of God, that high-paying job that was innocent just became sin. To him that knoweth to do good, but doeth it not, to him it is sin. Here's the thing, though. Satan examines your life. He puts you under the microscope. Man, he, he focuses in. He says, oh, oh, you like stuff. I'm a professional in stuff. 
And so Satan comes and says, oh, you like toys. Now, everybody likes toys, but grown-ups, your toys cost a lot more than the kiddos' toys do. But how many know adults have toys? And so the devil comes and he examines your life, he examines your wife, and he says, oh, you, you like stuff, you like toys, you like boats, you like cars, you like, uh, you like uh, uh, fixer-upper cars, you like, uh, uh, man, you like fishing, and you like hunting, and you like golf, and oh, you want some more golf clubs, hey, I think I can arrange that, uh, uh, you want some uh, new golf shoes, I think I can do that, and oh, you like that golf club, well, I think I can arrange that, and by the way, now, there's nothing wrong with golf, and there's there's nothing wrong with hunting and there's nothing wrong with fishing and there's nothing wrong with those things. There's not a thing wrong with cars, but I'm just telling you when those things kick you out of the circle and pin you to the mat and take you away from the will of God, something that wasn't sinful before just became sinful. And we need to understand something this morning that Satan is not this little Hollywood version, a little short man in a red suit and a, and a, 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 a pointed tail and a pitchfork. I'm telling you, he is subtle and he is wise and he is deceptive and mark her down. He has the ability and the power to give you things. Luke 4, verse number five. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me. Listen to this. And Satan said, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. You let a boat consume you, he can give you a boat. In fact, you'll get to the place where the boat you have is not good enough, so you want a bigger one. Again, is there anything sinful about getting a bigger boat? No, unless it throws you out of the circle. And then the boat becomes sinful. Is there anything wrong with you fixing up your car and and, uh, and uh, putting your car in shows and, and all. If you want to do that, that's your hobby, that's fine. I'm not against that at all. If that's, your, if that's the thing that you like to do, that's great. That's wonderful. But I'm just saying that when those things take precedence over the, the, the Lord and they throw you out of the circle, out of the will of God, then you know what? That means this, that, this, that Satan has just found out what it takes to get you out of God's will. If he sees that your weakness is lust, you know what? He'll provide ample opportunity for your eyes to see wrong things and for you to meet the wrong kind of people. He'll bring them. He'll bring them to you. Hey, fellas, love y'all. There, there's not a man in here this morning that hasn't battled with some of these things that I'm talking about this morning. And I just encourage you to stay close to Jesus Christ. Because if you ever get away, if you ever get outside of the circle, I'm telling you, just at the right time, the devil will bring that floozy right by your way. He'll bring that harlot right by your way. He'll bring that prostitute right by your way. He'll try to cause a wedge in between you and your, your blessed wife and your children and your family. I'm telling you, he's got you under the microscope. He's looking at you. He's examining you. He's scrutinizing you to see what your weakness is. 
Hey, church, if he sees that your weakness is impatience and bitterness, he'll bring just the wrong people into your path, make you more angry. So if you're already battling with bitterness and anger, he'll bring that relative that just really gets your goat. You know what I'm talking about? That one that gets on your ever-loving last nerve. And you get ready to go to the family reunion, and your wife will say, oh, guess what? So-and-so's coming. I mean, he just makes you so mad. And the devil will bring those people into your life. Why? Because the devil is scrutinizing you. He's watching you. He's examining you. I was looking this week, and of course, most of what's out there we, we don't know about. But we have a number of American satellites in space now. Those satellites are so technologically advanced, they can not only zoom in on the ball field, they can zoom in on home plate. Listen to this verse. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Do you know there are some spiritual satellites that are zooming in on you? They're zooming in on your personal life. They're zooming in on your likes. They're zooming in on your dislikes. They're zooming in. This ought to scare us to death, parents. You have some satellites, spiritual satellites. I'm not talking about, they don't have NASA written on the side of them. They have S-A-T-A-N written on the side of them. And right now, they are zooming in on your children. That'll scare us to death. Now, there are a lot of parents who, you know what, they're clueless. That's why they're not here today. We might as well tell it like it is, church. I mean, it's too late. It's too late to change now. We might as well just tell it like it is. Sitting at home, laying at home, laying in the bed, watching cartoons, playing PlayStation. I mean, today on Sunday morning when it's church time and uh, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, never get their kids into the house of God, never get their kids under the gospel, never get their kids where there's preaching going on and where God is being exalted. I want you to understand something, that Satan is not some dumb little dim-witted being out there. He is examining you and he's watching your kids and he knows exactly what he needs to do to try to snare them and knock them out of the circle. Tempted. It means, first of all, to scrutinize. But there's another meaning. Number two, it means this. It means to seduce or entice. A little sub-definition there. It means to lead astray usually by persuasion or false promises. Calvary, the devil is a liar. John 8, 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He talking about Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar. Did you know the devil will lead you to believe that something is great when it's not? He'll lead you to believe that something is innocent when it isn't. He'll lead you to believe that a certain thing won't hurt you 
And it won't hurt you. It'll destroy you. But he never tells you that. The devil's a liar. The devil will lead you astray by persuasion or false promises. By the way, it's exactly the tactic he used in Genesis chapter 3. When God comes to Adam and Eve and says, every tree of the garden is for you. Every herb of the field is for you. There's one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's one tree. Everything else, apples, pears, bananas, persimmons, cherries, almonds, walnuts. Everything is for you except one. And if you partake of that tree, you'll die. And what did Satan do? Satan came to Eve and he said, Oh, you won't die. He said, In fact, you'll not only die, but he said, Man, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. God just know that in the day you eat thereof, man, you're going to be, become wise and you're going to be as gods. And he said, man, it, it'll make you more godly. I mean, you'll be like the Lord and, and it won't hurt you. But how many know it was an outright lie? And what Satan said was innocent. What Satan said wouldn't hurt them. It brought death. Amen. Satan promises the best, but he pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. Listen to what God says about sin. James chapter 1 and verse number 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, finish it, bringeth forth death. Listen to what God says about sin. Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death. You see, sin is never as good as Satan says it is. It's never as satisfying. And mark her down, my dear friend. It's never as innocent. You see, he never tells the truth. And so, young person, when Satan comes to you and he says, I know, I know what your dad says, but... It really won't hurt you. You see what it is? What it is is your dad, he's old school. Your dad doesn't understand. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of things your dad probably doesn't understand. He may not know how to run a computer. He may not know an, an iPad from a notepad. I mean, he, you know, he may not know. He may still have the old flip phone, you know. But there are some things your dad does know. He's been down the road a lot longer than you have. He knows about sin. He knows what the devil can do. He knows, he knows the way the, the, the deceiver works. And when the devil comes to you and the devil says, it's really not that bad and you'll really have fun and, and you'll have a lot of friends and you'll be so popular and it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I'm just telling you, there is not an ounce of truth in him. And when he's talking to you, you can mark it down, Calvary Baptist Church. He's lying. He's lying to you. Old story. But if our Calvary folk could give me just a little bit of grace for all those who are new. And so there's a young lady that grew up in a Christian home. Good Christian mom and dad. They tried their best to raise her right. They had some standards and some rules and regulations. And for a long time, she, she abode by those. When she got in high school, 
And then she got close to graduation. And she got with the wrong crowd. Her dress was different. She would come to school and her friends would say, why are you dressed like that? She said, well, mom and dad said that, you know, I need to be modest and dress like a lady. That's still true, by the way. Oh, you don't have to listen to them. Man, they're dinosaurs. They don't understand. She would come to school day after day after day and and they would wear on her and they would criticize her parents and they would criticize her church and they would criticize her Bible and they would criticize her stand. And Well, spring break came. And a bunch of the kids were going to vacate or take off for Daytona Beach, Florida and they were going to be down there during spring break. And so her friends began to talk to her, man, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go, you gotta go. And she said, you know, that that boy that you like here at the school, he's going. You gotta go. He's going. And she said, if I ask my mom and dad, they'll say no for sure. She went home and she just begged and begged and begged and begged and begged. And they should not have. But they caved. And she said, oh, mom, it's, it, everything's going to be perfect and, and uh, we're, gonna, you know, we're not going to do anything wrong. Everything's going to be fine and good friends that are going. And she just lied. You know, everything's, everything's great and we're going to behave ourselves and no drinking and, and no, 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 nothing wrong. Well, they had already got a plan together. And so she was going to go down to Daytona Beach, Florida, and for several days she was going to shack up in the same hotel room with this boy that she just was head over heels about. Didn't know much about it, but she, would, uh, she was going to shack up with him that, that week, and they were all going to do something similar to that. So sure enough, she got out from under the umbrella of her mom and dad and made her way down to Daytona Beach, Florida, nervous as she could be, of course. She had never done anything like that. But the devil said it was going to be great. It's going to be so fun. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. That's what he says, and everybody's doing it. Teenager, listen to me. Everybody is not doing it. So she goes down to Daytona Beach, Florida for several days, and she shacks up with this young man, loses her purity, lives in immorality. She knows if mom and dad found out about it, they would be devastated. She knows her preacher would be disappointed. On the last day, she wakes up in the hotel room. A little bit confused. You know, sometimes you wake up in a strange place, you wonder where you're at, and she's like, and she's like oh yeah, I'm, I'm in the hotel room. Spring break, Daytona Beach, Florida. But when she looks on the other side of the bed, he's gone. She looks around the room, his luggage is gone. She jumps out, she runs out to the, the, the balcony, he's not there. The only other place it could be the bathroom. And so she runs into the bathroom, and she, when, when she runs into the bathroom, the young man had taken a stick of her lipstick out of her purse and he wrote these words on the mirror in the hotel bathroom, welcome to the world of AIDS. I'm just telling us something, church. He's a liar. He's a liar. And he promises that everything's gonna be great but he is a liar. Now I'm done. I'm, we're getting ready to pray and we're going to have an invitation. 
But here's a question. Why is Satan so obsessed with tempting us? Man, this is hot off the press. God gave me this part this morning. Why is he so obsessed with tempting us? And here's the reason. Because Satan sees the possible end. How many have heard this phrase, it is a means to an end? Would you look at verse number 13, please? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 13. The Bible says, to the end, that we that he to the end. He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. You know, in other words, you know what Paul is saying here? The end is this, that you'll be a good, dedicated Christian. And one of these days when Jesus comes, you'll be found faithful. And so the devil says, I've got to do something to disrupt that end. I can't have Brother Mike glorifying Jesus. I can't have Brother Donnie glorifying Jesus. I can't have Brother Michael glorifying Jesus. And so I've got to come up with some means to make sure that I destroy the end. Listen to what the Bible says. We're done. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. Anybody know the next word? Seeking. Oh, man. Seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Hey, this is all I'm saying, Calvary. Hey, if you hadn't heard anything I've said, hear me right now. Wake up, wake up, hear me right now. We can't allow to let our guard down for a half a second. You say, I'm going I'm to take a little sabbatical from my Bible preach. I'm not going to read my Bible for the next month. You're in dangerous territory. Preacher, I've tried this prayer thing, and so I'm, I'm you know what, I'm just done, I'm done praying. I'm not going to pray for the next little bit. You're walking on thin ice. Teenager, let your guard down for a second, and I promise you, he'll throw you out of the circle. He'll pin you to the mat. By the way, mark her down. When he pins you to the mat, it's going to be embarrassing. It's going to involve shame. You're not going to want to show your face. Amen. We'll get into this tonight. The devil will say, you surely can't go back to church now. There's no way you can show your face there now. We cannot allow to let our guard down for a second. So sometime back, the Statesville Police Department decided to, they wanted their presence to be more visible on some of the, in the rougher areas of town. And so, Policemen started walking the beat again, usually in their cars, but they started walking the beat. Not very long ago, over in Statesville, over on the south side, there were three police officers. They were walking the beat that night, and somebody stepped out of a house. This is crazy. Somebody stepped out of a house and began to fire at those police officers, and one of the police officers was struck in his back. They called the ambulance, of course, and took him to the hospital, but when they began to examine his body, the bullet never penetrated. Why? Because that night when he walked out of the house, he didn't say, I'm going to let my guard down tonight. 
he took his bulletproof vest and he put it on like he always did. And when that round struck him in the back, it hit his bulletproof vest and it saved his life. Calvary, you got your bulletproof vest on? I just wonder, is there somebody here this morning, you took yours off? The devil came and the devil said, man, it'll be a blast. You're going to love it. <laughs> You've never done this. It's going to be awesome. And so you said, okay. And you took your bulletproof vest off. Watch out. Because the devil is a liar. And his goal is to throw you out of the circle. Let's bow our heads today. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for dealing with mine even while I was preaching. Lord, I am the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church. It's my honor to be here today. My honor to be the, these wonderful people. It's my honor to be their pastor. But even though I'm a pastor, I cannot take my bulletproof vest off one second. I cannot let my guard down. Lord, I cannot allow Satan to come in and, and to lead me along because he knows my life. He knows who my wife is. He knows my children. He knows their name. Lord, he's very aware of our house. He knows our address. And Father, I pray today that you would help the people of God to take heed. And today they would say, I'm going to put on the whole armor of God. I'm, I'm, I'm done taking chances. I understand that Satan's wanting to, he's wanting to throw me out of the circle and pin my neck to the mat. Father, I pray today that you'll work in this invitation. I pray you'll speak to hearts. Lord, it might not be a bad idea if some parents would leave their seats and find a place on an old-fashioned altar and pray a hedge of protection around their children. Teenagers, grown children, married children, it doesn't matter. Maybe you ought to have some folks today, Lord, that come to this old-fashioned altar and pray a hedge of protection around their home. Maybe, maybe there's a child of God here today, a man or a woman, a teenager. They took the bulletproof vest off, so to speak. And today, Lord, they would come and get on this old-fashioned altar and they would say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm putting on the armor again. I understand how deceptive Satan is. Lord, today I pray that you'd spare life. I pray that you'd save a home. I pray you bless all of these that are in the altar, and I'm thankful that you're working. Have your way now, please, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Can I ask a question or two? How many are here today, and you'd say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am saved. I'm born again, no doubt. I'm on my way to heaven. If you can honestly say that with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody's looking, nobody's looking. You'd say, preacher, I know I'm saved. You'd slip your hand up right now all over the house. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask a second question, though? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to come back and try to drag you down an aisle. But I'll tell you what I would like to do. I'd like to pray for you. And right now, you'd say, Pastor, I could not raise my hand. 
And if I died today, I'm not sure about heaven. I want you to pray for me. Is there one anywhere you'll let me pray for you this morning, right now? You'd slip your hand up. Preacher, pray for me. If I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? Right now, you'd slip your hand up. Right now, raise it high so I can see it. I see that hand. Is there somebody else? Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray for me this morning? 